Welcome everyone to Popcorn Peeps episode 5 featuring Pan's Labyrinth. This is a podcast in which we venture through the Hollywood Reporter's top 100 films of all time and give our thoughts along the way. Today I am joined by Mr. Craig Moore. That's me, I'm Craig Moore. Chris McMullen. Good evening. And Sarah Alexander. Buenas noches. Me habla y Sarah. Okay, I want to do mine over. <laughs> Buenas noches. It would have been cool if we did this in Spanish. You think I could speak Spanish? <laughs> well, we watched Pan's Labyrinth, the 2006 dark fantasy film written and directed by Guillermo del Toro, starring Ivana Banquero, Sergey Lopez, Maribel Verdu, Doug Jones, and Adriana Gill. What are your first impressions of the film? My first impression was actually, I wasn't sure how much I was going to like it because I was trying to eat dinner while watching it. And I was like looking at my food and then I'd look back at the screen and worried that I was going to miss a line. But here's the thing. I was so engrossed by this movie. I didn't miss anything. This is a great movie. I loved it. Jen and I watch a lot of sub shows, but the lunchtime show can't be subbed or in another language because I got to eat and be able to follow the storyline. How about you, Sarah? liked it i think i was just expecting more i don't know because i've heard good things about it that it was kind of just like a okay like it didn't really get into the franco spain it didn't get into this other fantasy world i don't know i I wanted more how about you chris we got one on each side of the fence where do you sit i i really liked it i've still been mulling over where it fits in the list but yeah i think the, the pace was really good love the fantasy stuff the fascist stuff was interesting too I'm going to side with Sarah on this one. I was particularly underwhelmed by Pan's Labyrinth. My shtick is fantasy. So this is the first fantasy film we've come across on the list. And I was really excited. I hadn't seen it. I heard it won a plethora of awards, international awards, including Academy Awards, BAFTAs, and it won the Best Film Not in the English Language Award. But yeah, I thought it was underwhelming. It was split between the two worlds, right? So you had your 1944 Spain and you had your fantasy labyrinth world with all of these grotesque, spooky creatures, the pale man, Pan. But I thought it split its time and it didn't necessarily, in a way, meld the two worlds in an interesting way. So you had an hour in each world, but it wasn't enough to really develop either of them to a point where I felt really attached to it. So by the end of it, I thought I had like two underdeveloped stories that came together in the end, but came together in a way that wasn't inherently satisfying. It just seemed like the most cohesive way to kind of entwine them and wrap the story up. I think I wanted more from the fantasy world than just like, okay, do three challenges in there. Like, I don't know, it just didn't build on where she came from at all. Like, I would have liked more background there with her about her father being the whatever Lord of Death. King of the Underworld. Yeah, King of the Underworld. Just seemed like it could be such an expansive world. I don't know. It just didn't really do anything. Well, I didn't really think it needed to be this expansive world with this great background of lore. This was... To me, this was a story about a little girl telling herself fairy tales to cope with a horrible situation. And it didn't need to have this rich background of lore of gods and demigods when she was playing in the forest and got her dress all dirty. It felt very much based on like classical video games like 80s, 90s, where there was a quest giver pan and it was go find the five or six or seven MacGuffins, very much in a, like a Legend of Zelda style. And that felt really hollow and it felt too obvious as a plot device and not anything that was inherently engrossing. I guess, but so the reason that those stories are so 
standard and you know written and known to you is because they were fairy tales that's what that was the fairy tale you know jack had to climb the beanstalk and get crap from the beanstalk world and you know video games didn't invent that modern stories didn't invent that stories over hundreds of years have told and taught you lessons like that and this girl was so into the fairy tale world. She read all the fairy tales. She had all these storybooks. And that, I think, was just where she went in her own mind during this part of her life. So I'm going to jump ahead a little bit just based on one of the things you mentioned. There's kind of um, two ways of looking at this. I've seen a lot of people hard lean into the fact that the fantasy world doesn't even exist and it's all in her head and she uses it as a coping mechanism. And there's also people on the other side of the fence who say otherwise. Where do you guys sit? What do you think? Is this a real world or is this like a part of her cognition? The pragmatic me thinks it is a coping mechanism. It's not real at all. The thing that is for that is when she dies at the end, even though her body is up there, she goes down to the underworld and then comes back like she's in her body and then it then she's back again. That made me feel fantasy. The the other thing that made me lean the other way was the root dude. Yeah, the mandrake. Mm-hmm. Right? Was he a mandrake? He was a man, like a baby mandrake. That was the thing, though, is Del Toro did a really good job of not letting anybody definitively lean on one side of the fence. So the mandrake root under the bed gets thrown in the fire. Everyone can see it. But when Captain goes and sees Ophelia talking to Pan, Vidal can't see him. So, like, there are instances where the fantasy world melds with the other characters, and there's instances where it doesn't, right? So it's kind of, it's like having its cake and eating it, too. And I don't know if that's genius or the opposite. <laughs> Because it's kind of inconsistent. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I agree with Chris. The boring grown-up in me uh, (laughs) makes me think, yeah, this is just a a little girl with something shitty that went on in her life, so she used this as a means to escape. However, she was in a locked room and used chalk to escape. So, like, (laughs) maybe not. That's not how you get to work in the morning? (laughs) Did she actually escape that room, though? Yeah, that's when she went to go get her little brother and run away. And the way she got out was by drawing a chalk door on the wall. To get into his office, she got there through chalk and then left it on his desk. I must have blacked out. Yeah, okay. I like to think it is a fantasy universe. I think like the artsy interpretation is no, it's just a cognition. It's just um, a coping mechanism, but that's much less fun. I like fantasy just to like say, oh, all of these cool things that happened now, you're just crazy. I want the universe to feel fantastical and feel magical and be less of a psychological thriller and just more of an engaging fantasy film. So maybe that's just my personal preferences kind of um, getting in the way of that. But there were enough breadcrumbs there to give that credibility. Certainly. I mean, sure. If Del Toro came out and said, hey, you know that movie I made a long time ago about, you know, the little girl? It actually was a fantasy world. I'd be like, okay, fair enough. So I googled and Del Toro confirmed, well, he said for him, he believes that the fantasy world was real, but it'll be different to everyone. And that's what's a matter of personal discussion where you land on that spectrum. A lot of people say like, should you take the director's opinion into consideration when judging their works? And I'm surprised at how differing opinions land on that. I feel like the creator's intention is always super important when considering and evaluating. It provides a fantastic framework. Yeah, but isn't that the idea of art too, is that they can 
put it out there, but how everyone's going to interpret it is going to be based on their own experiences and what it means to them. That's true. But if Del Toro is saying it's a real fantasy world, and then you've got like uh, film scholars and cinephiles being like, oh, he doesn't even know what he's talking about, despite the fact that he wrote it. He said he believes it's real, but it's up to everyone's personal discussion. So he seems kind of open to That's it. such a lazy way to answer <laughs> right? that question. Maybe. It's like, I don't want to piss off any of my fans, so I'm going to say what I think, but no one else is technically wrong. <laughs> you know what? I agree with you, uh, Jordan. Knowing the creator's intent is important because it was built with intention in mind whether he meant it to or not. And, you know, you tell me that Del Toro thought the fantasy realm was real while he was making it. Well, then that's probably the story he meant to tell, whether I think that's how it came through or not. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, I think that if your intention doesn't come through, then you, it's a failure. You can't cop out later and say, oh, it's whatever you think. <laughs> yeah, I agree. If you... <laughs> Just because you failed to accurately portray what you were trying to communicate, you don't then get to go, you can hear whatever you want to hear. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. What did you guys think of the characters? Did you have any particular standouts that you enjoyed? Any ones you hated? Uh, I loved the captain. I loved him in the same way that I love Joffrey Baratheon. I hate that fucking guy. <laughs> So He's so I much love, fun to like, hate, though, and the great. actor does such a tremendous job making you feel hatred. He's basically fascism incarnate, but he's a spectacle to watch. He does crazy shit. Yeah. Why do all these movies have torture in them? A, and someone's leg got amputated, so, like, we're, like, two for five now on limbs getting taken off on this list, so that's awful. Yeah, part removal, so this is going right to the bottom of Jordan's list. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> He was fantastic. I had a lot of fun watching him. So he was great. Fantastic acting, but I didn't like him. He was just a brute, <laughs> right? Is that not in itself, though, like a personification of fascism? Yeah, but to make him so one-dimensional and make him like, yes, look at this monster with no humanity. Like, even the fact that he cared about his son, it was for selfish reasons. Like, um, American Psycho, even Patrick Bateman in that, John Doe in seven there are things that you can like about them yeah but you don't need to like him ah, it's a fairy tale I, it's okay to have a bad guy in a fairy tale who's just a bad guy but just the reason why you don't resonate with like the evil stepmom in cinderella right mm. yeah we don't go what's her story like what's she been through no she's just a bad guy i hate disney movies <laughs> yeah yeah i agree with chris i think it's inherently a flaw with the fairy tale structure but since this is a trying to be a fairy tale I guess, I mean, it's true to... It's true to form, but I don't like it. Yeah, I was fine with him. I kind of side with Craig on that one where like he is just supposed to be a bad guy and he did it so well that I enjoyed his performance and I looked forward to his scenes just to see how twisted he could be. But I didn't think anything was lost by him having no redeeming qualities. I also didn't know that this was a prequel to The Dark Knight. He's got half of his scars. <sighs> yeah, I, yeah. my <laughs> wife made that joke as soon as it happened. Oh, She's God. Like, you want to know how I got these scars? <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> Ophelia, why so serious? Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus. What about Ophelia? I thought she was really bland and really boring. I'm sorry, not going to lie. Yeah. And like when she's in that tunnel or whatever with the white, uh, the skin hanging guy, I don't know what we're going to call him or if he has a name. He was referred to as the pale man. So with the pale man and then to wake him up all for two grapes. Yeah, that was weak. Yeah. Oh, she just made such bad choices. I was like, okay, get eaten. Like, I don't care at this point. I made the same. I was like, you know what? If you get eaten, you deserve it. Yeah, you got two little fairies heads ripped off too. 
I love the pale man's decor. Can you just imagine this? You're just walking into somebody's house, just pictures them on the wall, just like devouring people, little babies <laughs> dangling. Them. It's like my place. That's a, oh my God. that's a red flag right there, not to fuck with the rules. I was just gonna say, Chris, that sounds like something that I would see in your house. It would be staged <laughs> as if it was a family photo or something, but on, upon closer inspection, it's like you eating. <laughs> ah. <laughs> And I thought most of the other characters were pretty forgivable. I think the most relatable character is probably the doctor playing two sides when he really wants to help the guy, but at the same time wants to protect himself and doesn't want to blow his cover. And he wants to do his job well. He wants to help the rebels by transmitting information in the same way that Mercedes was doing it. But I felt like I resonated with the doctor more just because his his demise was probably one of the more emotional moments of the film. Yeah, mm-hmm. I agree. Because... You know, this is a guy, he didn't hurt anybody throughout the film. He was just trying to help, and he's trying to do it without getting anyone else hurt. I just want to double back to Ophelia. I just want to mention, I don't expect anything from child actors. Uh, If you're able to say all your lines and carry out a decent performance, then kudos. You you get a pass from me. I watched Home Alone. (laughs) The child actors in Airplane did a bang-up job. Fantastic Uh, delivery. She did a good job, but she just wasn't very interesting. I don't know if that's her fault or the story, because it didn't really flesh out why I should care about her going back to her fantasy world, really. Exactly. Exactly. As far as Ophelia and her story goes, I mean, it follows the classic hero's pattern, right? Where she gets put in a crappy situation, she meets someone who will help her out, she faces a massive defeat, but then has a chance to redeem herself and redeems herself, in this case, having to sacrifice greatly at the end. So as far as it following, I mean, this movie delivers exactly what it promised. It told you right at the beginning it was going to be a fairy tale, and that's what it was the whole time through. I, I thought that it did a really good job being a novel fairy tale while also following the same structure as every other fairy tale you've ever heard. And I'm fine with it following the same structure, but I just don't think it did it well compared to other fantasy movies out there in the same genre. I think you think it didn't do it well because it followed too close to the fairy tale structure. Maybe. I just didn't give a shit about Ophelia. I was more interested in, I guess, the real world side. I was much more invested in the real world side. I thought the characters were more interesting. I thought Pan himself was just a douche. I don't know. Arrogant, uninteresting, self-interested. He didn't really seem to give a shit about Ophelia. She was more just a tool to help him or whatever. He's just following orders, it seemed like. Didn't really give two shits about her. Because when she does break the rules, he's like, nah, you're gone. (laughs) And the only time they ever talk again is when she's like, okay, I'll do exactly what you say. I mean, she got two of his friends murdered. Mm -hmm. I'd probably ditch her too. Yeah, It's fair. What are your thoughts on the idea of an R-rated fairy tale? Is this something that interests you as a premise? Sure. Absolutely. I didn't know that it was R-rated. Yeah, it was. I really like like deconstruction. So I first saw this with an anime called Madoka Magica, where it's positioned as like a Sailor Moon style show. And it follows all of those tropes. But it gets to a point in episode three where it completely unravels everything and it becomes this dark twisted fantasy and the characters start dying off and it's life or death and like suicidal tendencies like terrible violence and i thought that was really interesting and that reminded me a lot of pan's labyrinth how you take the traditional fairy tale formula but then you throw in civil war fascism disobedience uh, torture all of that stuff and i thought as an idea it's immensely interesting I'm not sure how they could have tied this story into the real world anymore without losing its flavor, unless, you know, maybe the flavor was the problem, but... 
<laughs> so let's do a round table. Give me one or two of your favorite moments from the film. Blood Jello. I loved Blood Jello. That was cool. Is that with the hunters? Uh, no, no. The, it, um, in the pale man's house. Oh, blood jello. I thought you were making like a code word for bludgeoning. Oh, <laughs> oh no. I'm sorry. No, no. When he was punching those guys' faces. No, the wordplay wasn't that <laughs> clever. <laughs> No, I'm not. I'm not that smart. Actually, the pale man's house was pretty freaking cool. I liked that a lot. I liked the pale man's house. I wish he was more intimidating. He he ate the fairies, but like he was slow, and I thought he should have like took one of her limbs off or something like that. Yeah. Would have been more impactful. I feel like there was little consequence for the main character, despite the fact that she like blatantly broke the rules, got her friends killed, and then Lolly dies out. And I mean, well, obviously, she died later <laughs> on, but that wasn't a result of fucking around. But in his house. where she wanted to go anyway. <laughs> You can argue that the consequence was Pan refuses to work with her, but I mean, that all unravels itself anyway later on. So I feel like there was no meaningful consequence for being a little shit. No. And I'm a big fan of consequence. I think this movie sucked, guys. (laughs) (laughs) My favorite scenes were probably, I liked Mercedes as a character. I liked that whole storyline with her trying to help her brother and his other gorillas in the forest. In the mist. There are other people. Don't call them apes. (laughs) otherwise yeah i liked the doctor i didn't really care for the mom didn't really care for ophelia yeah uh so the whole spooky spooky eye hands guy was great and i also agree the doctor was incredible but when she got this book that when she opens it it shows her the story of what her future is going to be man would that ever be a real handy thing to have I would love to have a, a book that tells me about my next 24 hours. I And I recognize, you know, maybe it's fate. Maybe it's set in stone and you can't avoid what's coming for you. But at least you can prepare for it, right? For example, you have to go into this log under a tree and, you know, deal with this frog. I mean, it sounds messy. I don't know why she wore her brand new dress to do it. She I might have wore idiot. like a rain jacket and rubber boots. I think it's because she's dumb. She's <laughs> dumb. Craig, you want this book, but you don't want this book after you get it and realize every page says, wake up, go to work, eat dinner, go to sleep, 400 <laughs> pages, and then you die at the end. Well, towards the end of it, it would Work be from by to five. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, for such an avid reader that this movie paints her out to be, she makes awful decisions. Oh, that's very insightful. Yeah, especially for someone who has read a lot of fairy tales and like you think she would recognize, you know, like, you know, don't eat all the cake or you can't get back out of the basket kind of mm-hmm. yeah. nonsense. Like, were they, was he going for like stuff was so scarce that a grape was just too tempting? But I don't think it was scarce at that house. No, the whole, one of the major themes of the film is sacrifice, right? I believe her mother gets herself into this situation because she's hoping that by doing so, she'll be able to sacrifice her happiness and give her daughter food, shelter, a home, and whatnot. So the kids are taken care of, Mm -hmm. for sure. I don't think it's about that. And like, I'd be going for more than just a grape. The blood jello, at least. Right? Maybe she thought if she just took a little I bit, want some blood jello. He wouldn't get mad. And was it the eating of the food that woke the monster? 100%. Up? so, just like, why don't you just put it in your pocket and eat a later, dummy? Mm, He's interesting. just tampering with the table. That was probably the trigger. If I was coding this as a if, and, then, or statements, uh, the angry boss monster would get angry as soon as you mess with the table. Yeah, so you can't just like collect all the food off the table and then like right-click leave dungeon no, and then eat so. the food and just avoid the boss fight, right? Uh, but he was fine with her rummaging through his walls to get that knife. Like that didn't disturb him. She didn't listen to the fairies either. The fairy said use the other box. 
Yeah, yeah, she was waving him away. Yeah, no, she's dumb. And you, yeah, when you frame it at the fact that, like, if I'm in a horror movie, I'm not separating because I've seen lots of horror movies, right? The mm-hmm. fact that she knows the framework and doesn't recognize it is just dumb. Yeah, so maybe the, the moral of this story is, like, remember fairy tales, idiots. Yeah, or, yeah. yeah. <laughs> recognize where you are. Remember the lessons you learned. Use your head, dumbass. I had a couple like favorite moments of the film. I really liked when all of the adults were around the table and they had this massive feast just stretching all the way down from one head of the table to the other, covered in food, and they're discussing ration cards. Well, the the irony was actually delicious in that sense. Yeah, that was a great scene. Mm-hmm. I thought it was funny because like, mm-hmm. I don't know, the phrase delicious irony, they're eating, it's about food, they're gluttons, their people are starving. I, I thought it was clever. I thought it was interesting. That was the one scene where they tried to give the dictator or the captain, I think, uh, uh, a little bit of depth where they gave him this uh, story about his father's watch and his father smashed his watch at the time he died so his son would know when he died and someone mentioned it and he said that's stupid my father didn't know when to watch which kind of gives you this feeling of tension between him and his father that maybe they didn't get along and then they immediately ignore that whole part of the storyline and okay so you know he's a dick but you know his dad was a dick too so what are you gonna do I was teasing Chris. There's a like a upmarket watch brand called Patek Philippe, yeah. and their slogan is, you don't own a Patek Philippe, you merely take care of it for the next generation. And I thought to myself, he must own one and really wants a son. And that's why he's so adamant about it, because he's obsessed with watches and this damn kid. It's the only explanation. <laughs> So was the watch he had the broken watch that his dad did? Actually, from the story? I believe so. Even though he lied about his dad having it. Although if you ask Del Toro, he could tell you it would go either way, however you feel (laughs) about it. Yeah, that is such a cop-out. I thought this quote was funny here. So the idea for Pan's Labyrinth came from Del Toro's notebooks. He says, they're filled with doodles, ideas, and drawings, and plot bits. And I totally see how that makes sense because it really does feel like a mishmash of ideas chunked together. And I don't think it would have helped at all if it were in my native language. I still think... No. I was impressed with the acting. I didn't feel like that was the barrier at all. That didn't hinder my enjoyment. I thought the delivery was good. I mean, of course, it's hard to judge when it's not in your native tongue because you don't pick up on a lot of the subtle nuances. You're like reading body language and tone a fair bit. But yeah, it was good. Yeah, it's possible I would have liked Pan better if he had been speaking English because it was hard to it's hard to fall in love with a character with no facial... Uh, uh, what's the word? Excuse? Not facial features, but... Yeah, expressions. Facial expressions. How did you guys feel about the special effects? I thought they were there fine. There were special effects. For 2006. Here's the thing, though. They weren't old enough and janky enough to be considered like classical special effects, but they weren't good enough to be considered like pseudo-realism. So they almost sat in this like uncanny valley. It would have been better if they were one way or the other, but they're kind of stuck there. And I feel like that's really true of a lot of films of like the mid-2000s, right when CGI was taking off and uh, they were really kind of pushing a realistic look with it. It would have been better if all of the CG like animated kind of characters had just been straight up puppets where I could see the strings holding a tail <laughs> up or like a string opening and closing the frog's mouth or something, it probably would have been better. I agree. What did you guys think of the themes? Did you think the movie was trying to portray a particular allegory? And what did you think about it? Fascism is bad. Mm. Be nice to little girls. <laughs> True. Part of the point of fairy tales is that they're supposed to have a clear moral to them. Well, that's why I'm bringing it up. Don't let 11-year-olds make decisions. 
That is a good lesson. I almost feel like one of the themes is uh, the, the futility of war. Del Toro has been on the record as saying war has no winners. It only has losers on both sides. And I think that's really evident in Pan's Labyrinth because you have the fascists. They, they're end or at least the end for their captain is is death and then you look at the other side and the rebels and a lot of them are tortured killed destroyed and so it really does paint that belief of war that del toro has but that wasn't really the end didn't it go on for like another 30 years like they just replace him he's just another cog in the wheel i'm talking about this like vertical slice that the film is examining but yeah i think it's kind of rough to because Look, Del Toro, if you want to make a movie about the futility of war, just do it. Don't wrap it up in some, like, three-day-old salami of a little girl <laughs> having to go feed a frog, get some fairies killed, and sacrifice herself for her brother. Because this, then the meaning gets lost. I don't think there was a meaning. I think it's just a cool movie, maybe a little too simplistic. I think if you're going to argue that the war theme isn't there, you definitely have to acknowledge that the theme of sacrifice is prevalent, how her mom sacrifices her happiness for the well-being of her daughter, and then in turn, her daughter sacrifices her life for the well-being of her brother. That's evident. I don't mm-hmm. think you can do I'm on board with yeah, sacrifice. I'll, I'll, I'll agree. The only other one I saw that was a little bit of a stretch was um, Pan's Labyrinth as a um, the layman's riff on Catholic dogma, according to Del Toro himself. So I'm going to read you a little excerpt. Mm. Del Toro's explanation is pale man's preference for children rather than the feast in front of him is intended as a criticism of the Catholic church. Additionally, the priest's words during the torture scene were taken as a direct quote from a priest who offered communion to political prisoners during the Spanish civil war. Remember my sons, you should confess what you know because God doesn't care what happens to your bodies. He's already saved your souls. Well, I think very deep and interesting, I think that is a really big theme that he almost wedges into something inconsequential in the final product. If you're going to weave some narrative of overpowering pedophilia into your narrative and then isolate it within the pale man's scene, which lasts maybe six minutes in a two hour movie, I think you're almost setting yourself up to be painted in a bad light because there's no way you develop this theme in an interesting way in such little time. But I don't think I would have got any of that it's how i feel about the the futility of war argument and it almost sounds like something that after having made the movie someone asked him what did it mean and he was like ah well here's something i'm passionate about let me just cram that in there yeah it feels 100 percent like something that you would have made in a high school or maybe college media class and you just did a bunch of cool shit look at these great images and then later layered on top some stuff that would get you that a yeah, so it could uh, meet that last requirement. <laughs> like, I, like, don't get me wrong. I enjoyed the movie, but I, it was, how do you say it? It was just. No, I totally agree. I liked it, but don't go telling me that it had some four-dimensional chest, 38 layers deep <laughs> storyline about a commentary the on the <laughs> Renaissance <laughs> effect of the industrial age based on the globalization of the coffee bean. Like, You didn't pick that up, Craig? It was a story about a little girl and her fairy tales and her fascist stepdad like what about the anti-gluten message of the local <laughs> that i didn't care for yeah. i've got one fun fact left on my list of fun facts for you guys did you know that guillermo del toro subtitled this entire movie himself because he was displeased with how others subtitled his previous spanish works He said, other people subtitle my works as if the audience is thinking impaired. Mm. 
So he wanted to provide subtitles that allowed you to kind of use your noggin a little bit more and it wasn't as spelled out to you. I think that's interesting because as someone who can only speak one language, I'm surprised that there's enough room to interpret something so badly. Controlled freak director. It could be one of those things where like some words can mean multiple things and if you're just doing the Google Translate, it'll give you the most common that you might miss some of the nuanced meanings, but I have no familiarity with Spanish as we know now. So maybe, maybe not. If he had done a good job subtitling it and translating it for us non-Spanish people, maybe he still wouldn't be answering questions about what his movie is about 38,000 <laughs> years later. Ooh, got the eyes, got the eyes. <laughs> I'm being really harsh on this movie and I actually really liked it. Okay, when we started, Craig was like, I really enjoyed this. I was eating and I didn't even miss a single subtitle. <laughs> I did, but now you're in here, Jordan, you're telling me like he's basing this on the socioeconomic effects of you know cholesterol i'm like i don't see it i yeah. don't see it here's the thing though if you don't agree with the themes necessarily that the author is trying to input but you still had a good time with the film i don't think that should necessarily detract from your enjoyment of it I think if you want to dig deeper and interpret that's fine yeah and it's not that i don't agree with the themes I just didn't get any of those themes besides the sacrifice one, but like about the whole Catholicism thing that was lost on me. Yeah, there was a priest in one scene. He was there for about 14 seconds and then he was gone. Yeah. He said some terrible shit to a prisoner. I didn't tie that to Pale Man at all. Maybe his therapist, when he watched it, was like, holy shit, but no one else would get that. (laughs) Before we go into the global hierarchy, does anyone have anything they would like to add that we did not cover already? The lighting, whenever she was in the labyrinth, was so bright. And if it's just supposed to be the moon, like if I'm out there, I get it, it's a movie, but still, that wasn't really realistic and kind of ruined those parts. I agree, but I do want to bring up one thing I thought was really good about lighting and cinematography. I thought at the end, when Ophelia was dying, the effects were great. So they had this Mm -hmm. washed out blue tone Mm -hmm. and everything was really muted except for the blood on her chest, which was still really vibrant. And the contrast between those two colors was top notch. And the blood on her hand was amazing. Mm. That was, yeah. 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 That's like my like snapshot from the movie that sticks with me. Definitely the most visually striking. Other than the first time you see Pan and you're like, what the fuck does this guy want? Oh, that's another thing I read is that Pan is just in the English translation only. He In the Spanish, it's only ever the fawn. But I think maybe people weren't Uh. sure that we would know what a fawn is. So they named it after Pan, one of the famous fawns of mythology. I have to subtitle my whole movie because I want people to think for themselves. But those dumbass Americans can't think for themselves. And so we got to give the fun a name. Yeah. Yeah. And that one is problematic, I think, because Pan does have this whole history that's unrelated to this movie at all. Like, it's not the same Pan. Yeah. With the Lost Boys and Captain Hook. He's got a whole lineage. Exactly. There's lore. There's pan lore. lore. They've sewn his shadow back to him. It's a whole big deal. Oh, my God. (laughs) I just got it. Oh, Oh, you know. I was like, I don't remember one in Peter Pan. (laughs) Oh, I was shaking my head because it was so bad. No, it wasn't even that bad. It was pretty bad. It was funny. It was funny. The only note I had was that right at the beginning, I was like, so graphic. And I did like that. I like that we didn't have any cutaway. Poor Jordan. That's what I said when I saw that. Close my eyes. For the fish hook, that was awesome. That was the best fish hook. All right, we, we want to rank this sucker. Where are you guys going to put Pan's Labyrinth? Reservoir Dogs, Bonnie and Clyde, and then I'll do Pan's Labyrinth, Seven Samurai, Airplane. Really? Just... You thought this was better than Airplane? Oh, I fuck hated yeah. Airplane. 
I didn't hate mm. it. This is sus. Uh, I didn't hate it either, but I didn't love it. I put it last last week. This I enjoyed more. All right, Chris, where are you going to put Pan's Labyrinth? Right in between Bonnie and Clyde and Airplane. Closer to Bonnie than Clyde than Airplane. So right in the middle of the pack. Number three, it's no Seven Samurai, but it was definitely not better than Bonnie and Clyde or Reservoir Dogs. I might even put it at the bottom of my list, to be honest. No, that's not fair. I think I'm going to put this last. Interesting. Wow. Uh, above? Wow. Wait. Controversial. This is a controversial point because I'm putting this one directly all the way up in second place. You think it's better than Bonnie and Clyde? I think it's better than Remember Bonnie and Clyde. Remember he saw that exactly as many times as he ever needed to. I think Pan's Labyrinth is a good movie. I have it right below Reservoir Dogs. Uh, probably a little closer to Airplane than Reservoir Dogs. I think Reservoir Dogs tells a much better story than Pan's Labyrinth does. Sure. But this is a good movie. I like it. I'd watch it again. The only contentious spot I have is Pan's Labyrinth or Seven Samurai, which is better and which doesn't deserve to be at the bottom of the list. But I feel like there's so many more influential fantasy films that do more for the genre than Pan's Labyrinth, whereas Seven Samurai at least has the distinction of being trendsetting. It's interesting, I thought, despite the fact that it was slower, much more memorable than Pan's Labyrinth. Mm -hmm. I don't know how much of Pan's Labyrinth I'm going to remember in six months. I don't think Pan's Labyrinth did anything really uh, brand new, but I also don't think it had to. It was just recycling the same uh, sort of formula that has been recycled a thousand times. Do you think it deserved a place on the top 100 movies? Not at all. Maybe. Oh my okay, God, Chris, Del Toro. No. I don't think so. <laughs> nice. Top 100 movies of all time. This was good. I enjoyed it. But top 100 movies of all time? Uh, I don't think so. Oh, well, what can you do? Chris, can you let our audience know what we will be watching in episode six? I believe it's Dr. Shivago, correct? True. And where can our audience check out Dr. Shivago before the episode to get prepped? So renting, Cineplex, Apple TV, Google Play, uh, Microsoft, Amazon, or YouTube. Well, folks, until next time, have a fantastic day, and we will see you next time. Bye-bye. Bye, everybody. Bye. Bye. Hello, everyone. Future Jordan here. There is now a spreadsheet in the description of the YouTube video highlighting the order of all of our global hierarchies. So if you want to check it out and compare yourselves to where we sit on the list, we'll be keeping that accurate and updated as the episodes move forward. Thank you.